This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. It is Bryce and Ren here, co-founders of Equity Mates Media, and we're here to announce our IPO. That's right. Equity Mates' initial party offering is here FinFest is coming. We're calling all bulls, bears, and party animals. The market's closed, the bar is open, and we're trading ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival. With expert speakers, special guests, DJs, and booze, it's an inspiring and empowering event for investors of any level of experience. So save the date, 15th of October, 2022. Head to equitymates.com slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equitymates FinFest is powered by Stake. Talk money to me. Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. I'm Candice Berg. And I'm Felicity Thomas. And this is your Need To Know Wealth podcast where we make the complex simple. We are so excited today as we have some very exciting news to share with you. That's right. Our mates at Equity Mates Media is going to IPO. <laughs> Our mates at Equity Mates. Yeah. <laughs> I Not love quite it. literally, but they are hosting their very own initial party offering. Sounds like fun. And yep, you're invited. We're really pumped to announce the launch of FinFest. So we're calling all of the bulls, bears, party animals to this investment event. The market will be closed on the day because it's Saturday, but the bar will be open. So come and trade ideas at Australia's biggest investing festival, FinFest. If you're a regular to our show, you'll note that we always ask our guest interviews, tea, coffee or tequila. Felicity and I might be having a tequila at FinFest, so watch out for that. We definitely will. We're we're tequila girls. (laughs) A spicy margarita. Now, we attend a lot of investment conferences. They never offer tequila, so that's a tick. And I guess these seminars, what they all have in common is, in our opinion, they lack the young, fresh vibe and that festival feel, which FinFest is going to very much tick all those boxes. So you can expect expert speakers and guests, DJs and booze, woo, and it's inspiring and empowering event for all investors along their investment journey, you know, from the beginning to the most experienced investor. Save the date in your calendar right now. Pull out your phone, 15th of October, 2022, and the event will be held in Sydney. Head over to equitymates.com forward slash FinFest to register your interest today. Equity Mates FinFest, the event is going to be powered by Stake. I'm so excited. I've already locked it into my calendar. So 221 days and counting. Now, in last week's episode, we gave our listeners the lowdown on the Australian reporting season and went through some of the beats and misses which caught our eye. Today, we're sitting down once again for our interview episode. And this week, we have our very own Jules Cooper from Shore and Partners. Jules is a senior analyst currently responsible for Shore and Partners software and technology coverage. So you've got software and tech businesses such as Whisper, Nitro, 
Elmo, GenTrack and Technology One, to name a few. Now, before we get into our conversation with Jules, here comes our quick financial disclaimer. Our chat today is not personal advice, and even though we're registered financial advisors at Shore & Partners, please note that this podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. The content on this podcast is general in nature, and you should seek appropriate professional advice before making any financial decisions. That's right, and also the companies that we're going to be chatting about on our show today are offered in good faith based on the facts known at the time and do not contain all the relevant information in respect to their financial products to which they relate. So welcome, Jules, to the show. Uh, Thank you, Candice and Felicity, for having me. Thanks again for sitting down with us to chat about the Australian tech sector, Jules. You know, with the recent market volatility, we've seen the tech sector sold off in particular, and now we're in the final days of the Australian reporting season. You are a very busy man at the moment, chatting to all the businesses that you have in your coverage, so we do really appreciate your time. You've been in the industry since 1999. Sounds like a really long time, right? So you would have experienced, you know, quite a few market corrections and pullbacks and, you know, major falls by now, right? Uh, yeah, correct. So, yeah, every every once in a while you go through these and it uh, always shakes you. But, you know, I suppose what you do in times like this is is stick to your playbook, which is thinking of about the fundamentals, backing good businesses, and, you know, eventually you come through the other side has been the experience. Definitely. And it is about staying the course, right? And I guess to give our listeners more context, before working um, at Shore and Partners, you know, Jules held previous roles at QIC, Citibank, Macquarie, Wilsons, and Ords previously. His expertise, which we're going to jump into in a moment, you'll understand that he really knows the Australian tech sector really well. And he currently has probably the most broadest software technology coverage in the market, which provides a unique perspective on the business models and the valuations across the sector we're going to go through. Jules is dialing in from his hometown, the very small and lovely, just joking, Melbourne. Um, He loves country music and camping and has three kids aged three, six and eight. So your day job keeps you busy and your night job keeps you busy, so to speak. So jumping right into it, you know, first question I want to ask you, Jules, is let's kick off the conversation by explaining to our listeners exactly what a SaaS business is and what the model entails. Yeah, sure. That's a, it's a good place to start. So I think SaaS is a, is a term that is probably overused. And if you just boil it down simply, it is how organizations today consume software and it's how they pay, f- pay for software essentially. So if you go back in the early, early days, you know, a, a bank or an insurance company would have hired a developer. They would have written their own proprietary code to, to run a software program. We then moved to third-party vendors, which wrote software for a broad group of companies and then stored that on the premises of the, of, of the company that was, was the user. And then now you have that same third-party software developers but producing software that's delivered via the internet um, and they pay for it. Uh, essentially, they rent it as opposed to owning it. And I think that's the, the key change. So what that means is instead of buying a license for software outright and having it forever, you're paying a monthly bill to access the software. So, and then over the longer term, as you're layering in more and more customers, you, you, you're creating a very valuable stream of revenues that are both predictable and defensive. On the ASX, we've got kind of a mixture of both software as a service software companies, as well as some of the older ones that are in a transition from their on-premise models to, to, um, to SaaS. Um, and really, it's the older ones that tend to be in the, like a T&E, that are partway through a transition. 
and newer companies, maybe like a whisper, you know, born and bred in the cloud. Um, so they haven't had to make any transition. But that's really the, the distinction. So are you finding that a lot of companies are actually making that transition from the old model to the new model? Yes, certainly across the older companies listed on the ASX uh, that have been around for a while. They, you know, because when they started, cloud wasn't a concept. Um, it, you know, software was, but the cloud and the way it was delivered and the way it was sold has has evolved. And I think that's why software stocks have broadly re-rated because you know, the business is now more predictable. You know, you don't have those upfront license fees that created volatility. It's now a recurring revenue stream paid monthly that, uh, you know, layers in over time and, you know, creates a very, you know, a high growth and also a defensive um, business, which is quite appealing. Yeah. And now we've been busy digesting the Australian reporting season. So tell us your take on the recent earnings season. How did the SaaS tech sector actually hold up? It was actually one of the better reporting seasons from a fundamental perspective. So all our top picks um, either beat or, um, you know, at least met or beat expectations. I think the only ones that didn't, you'd probably say Phineos and Nitro. Um, so they, you know, marginally missed, uh, you know, our expectations, which resulted in, you know, optically slightly higher cash burn. Um, but, you know, it didn't really save any of the stocks with pretty much most down 10 to 30% regardless of, of that strong reporting season. So there certainly is a like um, an anomaly there in that the companies are actually seeing very good underlying conditions uh, for, for their products, but, uh, but the market is discounting them at the, at the current time. And within the ASX, you know, tech um, software market, do you know how many companies fall within that? coverage and then of that you know we always talk about it with our clients Jules there's a huge universe of investment scope right and then we need to narrow that down so of the the market that you play in how much do you cover would you say yeah so this is you know technology on the ASX is a very broad sector right it encompasses buy now pay later online uh, shopping um, software uh, and then you know some other sort of you know business models as well all digitally enabled so I tend to just focus on software and the reason being is because it has that really nice recurring revenue that we're looking for and, you know, provides a very predictable uh, defensive as well as growing company. So look, on my watch list, there's 40 companies. Now, there's some smaller ones that we probably, you know, haven't yet sort of turned our attention to, but, you know, 40 is quite a lot. And with um, in that 40, we would cover 16 or so. So I think it is one of the broadest coverage as you as you mentioned earlier yeah so what has to happen for those ones that aren't on your coverage now but on your watch list what has to happen for you to go "Mm, okay i'm keen to pick up some coverage now yes that's a that's a good it sort of talks to the process so we're really looking to validate the products um, i suppose of these companies right that's what that's what you're selling so we can do that two ways we're not experts users and, and remember software is you, you couldn't be an expert in every single product because it's all for different users, different verticals. But what we're either looking for is some sort of hint that the market for their products is responding well. So that's either an accelerating growth profile um, or potentially where you just see some businesses that are just doing big sales. I always think that's a great litmus test. If there's a, if there's a company out there that's willing to pay $600,000 for a piece of software, it probably suggests that there is value and it's solving a problem. And, you know, so we just look for those little insights 
which is why we tend to steer away then from companies that are just a PowerPoint presentation with an idea. Yeah, I mean, call me old-fashioned, you're looking for recurring revenue and profits as well, right? Yeah, or just some, someone that is willing to part with hard-earned money to, to buy their product as opposed to the anticipation of that. We're also really looking for things, you know, because we follow the sector, if we see a company that's fallen out of favour, you know, and, and it's been enough time where it's fallen out of favour, it usually catches our interest because we think the risk-reward is um, uh, kind of then, you know, favourable. And then in that situation, then we're kind of thinking about what are the catalysts to return that stock to being, um, you know, interesting for investors. So either growth reaccelerating, maybe there's a, you know, sales leadership change or, you know, some senior management that's changed or just from a corporate perspective. If we're seeing, you know, corporates actively participating in the space, we might look at a company and go, well, you know, it's, it's fallen out of favour with investors, but it doesn't mean it's fallen out of favour um, for a broader group of um, potential investors, I suppose. Well, that's quite exciting. So we might have some new ideas potentially in 2022 from you is kind of what we're hinting at. So you did kind of go into this, um, but let's delve a little bit deeper. So tell us the process and what's involved when you find a compelling business. How do you actually locate them? Um, Walk us through your DD in evaluating if the business is a buy and one that you actually want to add to your research coverage. Yeah. So, you know, we sort of touched on it earlier but but that would be the, the process we we try to stay across the companies and meet with them regularly even if we don't cover them just so we can get a feel for how the business is tracking you know what they've got coming in the pipeline and then we're just really waiting for the opportunity you know when you pick up a stock it's like getting married so you you you, you can't really drop them that easily um so you, you know we, we're patient i suppose and if we you know um yeah, we patiently bide our time, we follow the companies and then we're looking for those changes or where the valuation is at a level where we can, you know, be willing to accept further bad news and sort of say, hey, well, you know, we're being paid now that maybe we've got a little bit early in terms of the turn, um, but, you know, at this price, um, you'd be mad not to be slightly patient and wait six months for the, for the um, you know, the thesis to play out if, if that was the position. What do you do to actually find the businesses though? Do these companies come to you or because you've obviously been in the industry for a really long time, you kind of bring your coverage with you wherever you go? What was, I mean, what was your first stock? That would actually be very interesting. The first company that you you took under coverage. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's two questions there. So how do we find them? So one, we're just keeping abreast of the companies that are listed. So we, we start with that because we've got to cover a listed company. And like I said, there's probably 40 pure play software companies um, in our focus list that have a certain sort of liquidity, and, you know, and, and, a, and a business that's proven as opposed to being completely speculative. Um, so we play with 40 and then we, we choose those ones out of it. When it came to the first um, software company I initiated on was Hanson Technologies. And I suppose you, uh, you know, you're conscious that you need to walk before you run. And to us, that's always been one of the most defensive uh, businesses on the ASX. So I thought it was a great place to start. We can learn the industry. We, you know, it's a stock that you can sleep at night. It produces good cash flow. It's not a high growth business, but but um, you know, by not being, you know, it has customers that are sticky that don't leave them. 
and we can start to learn the industry um, and the business without taking on too much risk too early. And would you say, you know, describing kind of the process that you have to, to initiate on these companies and then go the journey with them, do you have more of like a value investment philosophy, therefore, in, in the sense that, you know, you, you do want to see those reoccurring revenues, you want to see those positive trends, they want to see a track record. And if for whatever reasons the market's got it wrong and they've had a few quarters unloved, you're happy to go in for price. And then I guess the second part of that question is, do you think the value philosophy helps you not, as an analyst, fall in love with companies too much? Yeah, that's a, that is a great question. Big no, question. That's a great question. <laughs> and it really, you know, like I suppose I cover growth. It's a growth sector software, but my disposition is value and it, and it has been. So we try very hard to try to understand how the cash flows are growing. And if the business is growing, then we need to understand what that cash burn profile looks like. I think that's one of our big differentiators on the street. We tend to to, to model the companies um, on a on a like-for-like like basis. So you might often see sometimes our numbers look different to the companies, but that's because we've normalized for, for everything that company might be doing to present itself in a little bit of a better light. Uh, we will be um, trying to make sure that it's comparable to every other company we look at. And then having that sort of perspective allows us to to sit back and think, you know, for the growth and the margin um, or, or the visibility that we've got, is this the right price today from a fundamental perspective? And then we can we can have conviction in, in those ideas. doesn't mean we get it right all the time, but certainly I think we've got a good track record at picking the inflections and the re-rates in software stocks that have fallen out of favour that simply just sort of, um, you know, come back into favour and then there's a, a lot of upside uh, from that. Yeah, well, Hanson has actually done very well for our clients, so thank you for that. And just for our listeners, the code is HSN and it's on the ASX. Now, on the flip side, what has to happen for you to lose conviction on the stock and actually remove it from your research coverage? I know you said that it's very hard, it's a marriage, this would be a significant divorce. Has it happened to you? And, and you know, why? Why did it happen? I've only been at Shores now for 18 months, and but we can sort of talk more broadly of like previous places. So, so we're very selective on the way in, I think is probably the, you know, the starting base. So we're not often dropping companies. And if I think about a company that we um, you know have dropped coverage of recently, uh, class it was because of a takeover. So, but but that doesn't mean that we wouldn't drop a a a company. And it really we go back to that thesis. If our thesis is um, that we think the risk reward is attractive, we believe this company is growing and the customers are liking and responding to their product, and it's being run well. Um, if that thesis holds, we're probably willing to be patient and and see them deliver. But similarly, if we sort of get a sense that it's not heading in the right direction or it's played out, well, you know, we'd, we would drop it in a heartbeat. Well, I think we've got a good question actually after this ad break. So in a moment, we're going to be chatting more about the state of play for the Australian technology and software sector, which is really hurting at the moment. And we'll be hearing Jules's top picks and why he likes the businesses. So stick around to hear some interesting stock picks in the SaaS sector. But before we do, we're just going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right. So we actually pitched Nitro on our Autopad episode. Uh, it has been one of my favorite stocks. And obviously, it's been hit very hard lately. In your opinion, is Nitro still a buy? And why do you believe it's been you know, sold off so much? Yes, nitro. It's it's been a, it has been a tricky one, as you as you pointed out. So look, I do. It is a it is a buy absolutely at this price, no question. Um, its products um, are central to digital transformation and the digitization of workflows. And you know, essentially, what they do is provide you know um, software to be able to manipulate documents, um, PDFs mostly, um, and also the e-signature software that can enable a, a, a document to be signed, you know, in a, in a remote sort of setting, which is what we find ourselves more commonly now. So look, I think it's, you know, this is, these are trends towards digitization and e-signatures that aren't changing anytime soon. But saying that certainly the last few months have been disappointing. Um, they've uh, lowered their organic growth um, profile slightly and, and hinted at a little bit more cost going into the business. So optically, that increases the cash burn. We're talking a lot, but you know, a small amounts, and and I think that really, you know, what's been disappointing is that is coming on the heel, hot on the heels of a transformational acquisition. Um, they made it with the connective business in Europe and a capital raising. So you sort of put those pieces together. You had you know a market that was uh, very much in love with this stock. You know, everyone was overweight. It's just you know missed its. It's kind of uh, you know a fairy tale story, and and it's been dealt a uh, a very harsh blow um, by by the market. But you know I would look at this as more of a, a symptom of you know emotion, and and probably um, investors being um, you know overly positioned. And then this is also happening in the backdrop. Let's not forget of rising interest rates, you know, risk off around Ukraine and and all those aspects. So it's it's almost like a um, you know, the, the perfect storm. But, you know, look, we do believe that that is a, a company that has a very good growth profile in front of it. Um, it's growing at 30% uh, per annum and it's trading now on three times revenue with a lot of visibility to reaching break even and beyond. Yeah, which is just fantastic. Um, and it is a lot better value than Adobe and DocuSign. And we actually use NitroSign in our business, so it's really user-friendly as well. I think, like you said, it's just the perfect storm with everything else going on. I believe they probably would have been sold off, you know, when they reported and then bounced back up if we didn't have everything else going on uh, that we do. Yeah, I, I would t- tend to agree with you. I mean, it's way oversold and we, um, you know, recently published a, a note to that effect, Enough's Enough, enough I, I think was the title, something to that effect. But, um, yeah, certainly, you know, here, um, you know, we see this as great buying for the long term. 
Definitely. And I just want to touch on a point you've suggested that um, when you look for businesses that are fallen out of love, you go back to how much are they growing? You know, Nitro's case, 30%, and yet they're trading on three times. So just, I guess, jumping into that, walk us through, if you're new to investing, how you kind of look at that from a valuation perspective. You know, does that obviously to us, that means it's cheap. But give us the 101 on how you value a business on PE multiples, for example, versus their their growing cap rate or however you're going to value yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess with any business that's burning cash today, and if we go back to the, the way we started the conversation with that subscription model, in the old days, yep. you'd sell a piece of software, you'd get essentially five or six years of subscription fees in, in year one. You'd pay your sales guy that was driving around in a Ferrari and, and you'd still make, make money. But you had to make that sale the next year or the next month, otherwise you would miss, miss your numbers and you'd still got to pay the, the sales guy. What is happening now is these software companies are you know are layering in revenue and you're only getting essentially paid for one month um, upfront, but you're still having to, to, to incur all the costs upfront. So when we think of a company that is burning cash, we really need it to see it growing to the point where it is no longer burning cash and then going on to produce uh, a decent um, margin um, and, and a cash return for shareholders. At the end of the day, every single company is uh, is a discounted value of future cash flows, and and that is what we you know that's that's what drives the value. Um, so with Nitro, when we say it's growing at thirty percent, to us that is the rate that it needs to, and we if we got conviction in that, then we can see that path to break even, and then we can see the path beyond break even because obviously you know if they're going from Cash burning to break even, you know, the next step is to be profitable. Uh, we can then think about what you're paying today uh, versus um, that that opportunity, and and that's why we talk about revenue multiples because it's kind of a little bit easy, but we're certainly not losing sight of the potential for that business to generate free cash in the future. And the thing you just have to keep in the back of your mind then, if it is burning cash, is do they have the balance sheet that can see them through? And in the case of Nitro, um, whilst there can be some emotion around a, a placement and then, you know, maybe numbers not kind of fulfilling the fairy tale, one of the great things is they did raise capital at, at a high price. Um, and uh, that's provided that, you know, we look at that business and sort of say, you know, even in the worst case scenario, they're probably going to have 11 to $15 million of cash in the bank at the time that they reach break even. So we see them as fully funded and there's no risk they would have to be forced into an equity raise at a very low price. Yeah, that's a really good insight. And I guess you've kind of shone a light on the investment case to look at a software business. But talk to us more about, you know, if you, let's say you've got a million dollars you want to put into the stock market in the ASX. Why would an investor think about the tech and software sector? Why do you think it's important we put our money there? Yeah, so this goes to the heart of why we decided to, to specialise in it. So software has been growing as a percentage of GDP since the 1950s. And if you watch the Netflix documentaries on IBM and, you know, in the early days, all the, you know, the software scientists in the Silicon Valley, like, so, so it's, it is slowly eating the world as a common phrase. And, and I, we wholeheartedly believe that because everywhere we see basically software replacing manual processes and, and people, and making mm-hmm. it more efficient to do business. Um, so this is something that has been going on for a long time. 
uh, it's still only a relatively small portion of GDP spent. So, um, you know, we think it can run for another, you know, 50 to 60 years in terms of uh, eventually we might get to the point where software is controlling everything, but, you know, we're, we're certainly not there at this point. Um, and, you know, and then when you start to think about, you know, this is a growing sector that has growth ahead of it, and then that change in the business model where instead of being upfront license fees, we're now recurring revenue paid monthly, it is providing a very solid, a beautiful combination of both a growing business but one that is defensive. And it wasn't, yep. you know, really the change of on that business model happened, you know, started to happen a few years before COVID. But one of the great things that I think is we went through COVID, we, we appreciated, that was the first test of recurring revenue and the majority of software companies all around the world came through with, um, you know, being paid uh, because the companies have to if they want to use the software. Um, and and also they didn't lose a lot of revenue. Now, software used to be very cyclical. We went up and down with GDP as, as companies had the appetite to spend, but we went through what was a, a massive drawdown on global growth and software companies came through that very strong. So it sort of proved its defensive stripes. That's really interesting. So we can kind of actually bring it back to our business, Candice. Um, rather than being in a brokerage model and having that lumpy, sporadic income um, fees coming in, we've got that annual ongoing advice revenue that comes in, um, which is less lumpy and not really affected during COVID. Software's, software is not the recurring revenue. Is not the, um, it's not just in software. It's just that that is, uh, you know, utilities and telcos have been doing it for years. That's how you pay your bills. Um, you know, you don't build a power plant, you just pay you to get your electricity, you know. Um, so it's it's a beautiful business model. I wish that was lumpier and more once-off, but it doesn't seem to be. <laughs> You've touched on a good point. I think everyone is somehow involved with software, whether they know it or not, whether they're consumer or in business. You know, through COVID is a good example. That's how businesses... Um, use technology and software to communicate to the wider community, consumers and the audience. For example, I got a text this morning, my Australia Post is on the way today. So that that is crucial to what Jules is saying. And I guess... We're using it right now, right? Like we're using it right now. Yeah, correct. Well, Whisper is, the, is an example of that tech behind there. Looking at your comments, just thinking on your comment there that it's a big part of the Australian GDP, what about overseas, looking to other markets... When you cover the Australian SaaS sector, well, you know where are you looking in particular overseas, and has the recent European war heavily impacted the sector? In your opinion, we cover what we have in Australia, but there are some fabulous businesses listed, particularly in in North America. Um, you know, and you would look at uh, you know Microsoft, Salesforce, Workday, ServiceNow, Atlassian. I mean, these companies are the future of how enterprises will run. And essentially, they, they're going to be a tax on, on big business. They are probably off, in some cases, 10 to 40% off their highs. And I think they just look incredible. I mean, there's no business on the planet that can do without Salesforce today. So, you know, and it's not that expensive anymore. Maybe trading at about 30 times cash EBITDA, uh, growing north of 20% and, you know, likely to continue growing for, um, you know, at least the next decade. So there's some incredible buying opportunities, um, not just in, in the ASX, but offshore as well. So do you think the US is leading the way in SaaS? Uh, yeah, by far, by far. I mean, the, some of the best companies in the world are there. Now, they tend to target, I mean, those companies I just listed are targeting very big, like CRM, 
HR, um, you know, like uh, operational management and Atlassian, et cetera. But, you know, so, so when we're looking at the ASX, we, we, we tend to have a lot of vertical software that maybe mm-hmm. has a small smaller niche, um, but, but certainly, you know, is either integrating with some of those big platforms uh, like Nitro, for example, like you mentioned, you know, has just announced its integration with um, with Salesforce. I mean, you, you want to align yourself with the big platforms that are behind most enterprises um, and then just try and find the, you know, the, the nice little businesses on the ASX that, that have a, a global um, opportunity in front of them. But um, just on the Ukraine piece, I don't think that, you know, I don't really see it as having a major impact. I mean, most customers for software are based in US or Europe. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think on the development side, there are some companies that access software developers in the Ukraine, and there are a lot of talented people there. They have been providing, you know, that sort of outsourced software development, but for the most part, across our coverage, we don't have too much exposure to that. Yeah, I guess this kind of leads into the next question. I mean, a lot of people do say you want to get out of tech when we're moving into an inflationary environment. But it'd be really interesting to hear your opinion. You know, how does that impact the sector in, in your opinion? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just caveat this by um, the fact that I'm a fundamental stock analyst and, I'm, you know, it, it does bewilder me a little bit why people say different things. But in my simplistic view, you know, inflation puts pressure on costs. Now, and then and a secondary um you know, the thing to that is once you've got inflation, central banks have to raise interest rates to, to tame that inflation, which impacts the discounting of future cash flows. So I've made the point that inflation for software companies has, is not, nothing new, right? They've been dealing with the war for talent and trying to get good software developers in their business for a long time. They've got lots of different ways to manage that. That's why they have, um, you know, foosball tables and, <laughs> um, you know, all the different things. It's a fun place yeah, to work. They're, they're trying to create an environment that um, can limit some of that, that cost inflation that they're seeing. Um, so, look, they're, they're well adept at, at doing this. Um, certainly the closed borders have had an impact on our ASX companies, particularly the ones with bases here, because it is, it is forcing the, the pressure up. But hopefully as the borders open and we, we can have – um, you know, software developers come and uh, take up life in Australia, uh, that should be, um, you know, beneficial. And then I guess the, the last thing is on the, the inflation side. One thing that I think about is these are core systems that are running businesses. It's very difficult to get them out of your business once they're in. So if you're in an inflationary environment, I think you want companies that have pricing power. And, um, you know, one of the things that you can see across, you know, uh, for example, zero. You know, it has put up its price several times in the time that I've been looking at it, as did my old. Um, you know, WiseTech has pricing power. Altium has pricing power. Technology One puts its price up 5% a year. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think because that the systems are so core and essential to, the, to a business, um, in an inflationary environment, you want a company that can actually put up its price. So I actually think software is where you want to be, to be honest, but... Um, no, that, that definitely makes sense. So market leading and pricing power, as well as that strong revenue growth. Um, you know, and you've been saying a lot of these tech businesses are all double digits, which is just huge when you actually think about it. Um, you know, 20, 30, 40%. That's absolutely massive. And a sticky business model, right? Once a customer decides to use the software and tech, they're in there for a very long time, right? And Jules does cover businesses that generally have you know, long tender contracts, like maybe five, seven years, right? Particularly if you're working with governments. So that kind of leads us to 
we here at Talk Money To Me are all about giving investable ideas. We know you cover about 15, 16 stocks of your 40 universe. But right now, markets come off. Good time to buy. We agree with that statement. Or top up because we already hold them. (laughs) Or top up. Yeah, correct. So what would be your number one stock pick right now and why? And talk us through the business, what they do, how they make money and why you think it's a goer. Yeah. So I'm going to have two if I could. The more Um, the better. Yeah, of course. And I've got a a flavor there for, for both. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Whisper. So we've got that on a buy. We've got a $4.85 price target. You mentioned it before, you know, floods, bushfires, you know, this is where Whisper comes into its own. It is a messaging platform, SMS messaging platform, um, that is sold to enterprise customers, uh, largely via its channel partner relationships, you know, with the likes of Telstra. It's, it's had a relationship with um, Telstra for uh, well over a decade. So that business grew 70% year on year in the first half. 70%. Wow. Versus last year. Now, they had a key role in the government's vaccine rollout. So, you know, we have to, to take that. That's not a normal half, but it certainly shows you the power and the capability of what that product is capable of doing. It basically executed the biggest messaging uh, task that's ever been under, undertaken in Australia. Um, if you were to exclude that little bump, it's probably growing more like 25, which is not shabby. Um, but um, uh, and, and we think there's a long way to go in terms of penetrating their existing customers. If you just think of how many emails you get, you know, your phone is pinging a lot these days, more than it used to, but you still get way more emails than SMS and businesses realise that if you want to actually get someone's attention, whether it be a customer or an employee, you send them a text message. And I think COVID has really sort of flicked the switch on, um, it maybe it was before a little bit, can I, can I text someone unless I know them? Whereas now it's like free for all. So, you know, they provide a platform to, to distribute those messages. Um, that, uh, you know, strong partnership with Telstra that I met and managed, uh, sorry, mentioned, you know, Whisper was recently sold alongside Telstra in the largest enterprise deal that they've ever, ever done with the Department of Defence. And it shows you, I think, you know, the benefit of having executed for, you know, the Victorian health, New South Wales health through COVID. They're now, you know, front of mind for other government departments looking to solve communications problems. Um, Singtel recently uh, partnered with Whisper and would like Whisper to be its messaging platform for all its enterprise customers in Singapore. So we're at the early stages of of that, um, you know, channel partner relationship really um, coming um, and bearing fruit. And they've recently, over the last sort of nine months or so, um, started to invest into the US, building a sales team, generating some some content and, and getting customers. And in the last half, we saw the ARO or the recurring revenue in the North American business double. So it feels like we're, we're starting to see some some inflection there. So you sort of put those three things together. You've got a very strong Australian business growing at least 25%. North American business with lots of opportunity now starting to find its feet. And, uh, you know, Singtel up in Asia, um, you know, potentially being as large as what Telstra is today down here in Australia. We think that is incredibly compelling and provides that visibility to break even and beyond. Um, and you're buying it for two times its revenue today that it's generating from its from its customers and you know it's supercharged i think in terms of a recovery um but does come with some you know it's got a higher risk profile because of you know that cash burning position that it's in 
I mean, that sounds great. And just for our listeners, um, the code is WSP and that is on ASX as well. And, and the, the other one, if you wanted to take a more, um, you know, pedestrian uh, approach, which, you know, it's entirely sensible is technology one. Um, so that ticker is T&E. Um, we've got to buy an $11.90 price target. So technology one provides core systems to councils and universities in, in, in the form of student management. And it does that in Australia and in, in the UK increasingly. So it is one of those older um, ASX software companies, been around for a long time. Um, so it's partway through a transition of migrating its customers from an on-premise uh, delivery model and, and payment model to subscription. Um, you know, that they've invested in the product. So, so we sort of feel like we're through the cost uh, side now it's just about layering in that revenue and we, we're at the point now where the cash flow can can really start to come into the business and we think they've got you know a lot of line of sight to their target of 500 million uh, ARR by FY26 or recurring revenue so that should drive 20% compound growth in cash earnings for the business and today you can buy that at 32 times next year's cash earnings so you roll forward another 20%, another 20%, another 20%, another 20%, you're going to be left with a stock that is uh, actually quite inexpensive um, and still growing at 20%, um, which we think is uh, you know, very attractive. Protecting the downside, this, this is a business that is making money. You know, they, they make a lot of money. They've got $100 million cash on the balance sheet. It's, it's rock solid and it's um, sold off uh, a lot in this recent um, sell down, uh, you know, the, the, the market sort of um, sell off. And it's now trading at around 30 times, as I mentioned, cash EBITDA, which when you go back and look at this company over six or seven years has proven to be a, a low point in its valuation range. So great business trading at the low end of its historical range, maybe a little out of favour, but certainly 20% compound growth, I don't think ever goes out of favour. Definitely not. So Jules's two buys, just to reiterate, is Whisper, WSP, and Technology One, TNE on the ASX. So as I was listening to those buy convictions, what really stood out to me is if I think back to Microsoft and Salesforce, like Jules mentioned, it took what, Jules, probably like over a decade for these companies to, you know, I guess, show the value proposition and actually start to reward shareholders in the form of dividends. So I know TNE pays a really small one, Hanson does. You said at the start of this conversation, we're going to put more and more money into the software tech space because we have to, we've got to live with it. So you do you see, I guess, the whole sector eventually following the footsteps of Microsoft and, you know, paying those more value investment preferences, aka a pretty attractive dividend? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's the software is, it's capital light. You know, you, you, you build the software, you've got to maintain it, but, you know, there are very good um, margins to be made particularly when you are the dominant platform or have a large market share with your customers. So, you, you, I, you know, the cloud, internet, it will, and software eventually is just going to be like a utility. You know, you have to pay Microsoft if you're a large company operating with people, which everyone does and customers. I think all of them have it. You have to pay Microsoft. You know, they're essential to your business. They've now got all your data. They've, they run all your operating systems. Um, you know, it is. Uh, it becomes very infrastructure-like 
at the end of this growth phase. And I think that's going to you know, produce very good dividends for, for shareholders. So you heard it here first, guys. Go the journey now. Stick with these growth businesses. Stay the course because very soon, probably in the next five, ten years, they will become, like Jules is saying, infrastructure, very much um, everyday bread and butter companies. We are attracted as, as investors to the infrastructure and, and REITs and utilities because they are slow and steady blue chip companies that pay pretty nice dividends of like on average three to five percent so that's great insight now we have a very very important question that we like to ask all of our guests um coffee tea or tequila jewels oh depends what time of the day (laughs) (laughs) we're coming into lunch so what would be your drink preference at lunch Uh, look i'll probably have a cup of tea to be honest um and then uh at five o'clock certainly have a tequila (laughs) love it especially at the moment right (laughs) thanks so much for joining us now before we sign off please remember although felicity and i are financial advisors at shrine partners and jules is a senior analyst in our research department please note the discussion today does not constitute as personal financial advice as always you should seek professional financial advice before you make any of your investment decisions and as we wrap up for today just a reminder about the equity mates event finfest is to be held on saturday the 15th of october the event is powered by Stake and we encourage you to head over to equitymates.com slash finfest to register your interest today. Don't miss out. Thanks so much again, Jules. Thank you for having us. Talk Money to Me is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian finance. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from the podcast. 
For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the host of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.